0: Do please be seated. And we're looking at the turning points in life. That is Christian decision-making, how we make decisions Christianly. And we're asking, with all of the different directions that we could take with our life, how do we navigate life God's ways? And perhaps this image on the bulletin cover feels a little bit like your own life sometimes. It is a street sign, I think, from one of the most confusing roads in the whole of the world. If you Google this, as some of you have started to do, you will even find on YouTube survival guides to navigating the magic roundabout, as it is known. One giant roundabout comprised of five smaller mini roundabouts each orbiting another secret, uncharted, mystery, internal, contra-rotational roundabout in the middle of this gigantic monster. It is bonkers if you go there. You're almost certainly going to crash out and never be seen again. How do you navigate something as complex as that without some direction? That's our question this Lent. In week one, commanding scripture, We saw that more than anything else in the whole of the world, if we are to navigate life God's ways, then we need to be in God's Word. The Bible is God's primary mode of directing us. We always, always must start with the Bible. And it means that if we receive any direction that is plainly contrary to Scripture, then it is a wrong turn. It is the wrong direction and you should not take it. The uh, very early days of satellite navigation systems, the little GPS, that you stick on your windshield and plug into the cigar lighter. Do you remember such crude devices? Uh, my father-in-law, Cat's dad, had a, had a Garmin, which we used to call the varmint, because it was a nasty little thing. <laughs> I'm going to just put it out there. I believe that the varmint had a bad attitude, because sometimes it would just give up. And, then, and sometimes it even managed to sound exasperated with you. You know, like you were bothering it somehow by asking for all these tedious directions. And then one day, um, long before we moved here, we were on vacation. We drove down to San Diego Zoo. I wasn't particularly familiar with driving in the U.S. We took a wrong turn. And I swear, the varmint sighed at me. It went impossible. And then it just went silent. Like, hello? <laughs> it, just, it just stopped working. I want to say that if someone directs you in your life in a way that is plainly contrary to scripture, I want you to have an attitude just for this. I want you to channel the varmint. And I just want you to sigh in their face and say, impossible. It must accord with the word. God's direction will always be consistent with God's Word. And so this week, as we start to look at the Holy Spirit and the way that the Holy Spirit can nudge you into God's direction, and we look at the compelling, gentle call of the Holy Spirit, let us open the Word. Let us have the Bible open before us as we turn to 1 John chapter 4. Not the Gospel of John. We'll get to that in a moment but the first of his letters toward the end of the New Testament, 1 John 4. Why do you find out the the background to the problem, the thing that's got him writing this letter? The background is is quite simple. Just like our world, in John's world, there were many competing voices, uh, each telling people and telling Christians what to do. And lots of people in John's world were claiming to have heard from the Holy Spirit Uh, And so understandably, with different ideas from different people, all claiming to be inspired by the Spirit, congregations were feeling confused. And John says to them, when someone purports to speak to you through or by the Spirit of God and says, hey guys, this is God's way, follow me, test it. You must test the direction. 1 John 4 verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't just gullibly go along with everything you hear. Just because someone says God says doesn't mean God says. You must test it. Still in verse 1 he says, you must test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, this is important with anybody in your life giving you directional advice, anyone, any fellow believer that says, you know, I think that we should go this way. But it is especially important with Christian leaders, those who stand up and and have authority to give direction. And uh, I I think if if, uh, I can read John correctly, he's saying that uh, we don't just believe Christian leaders simply because they have a bit of plastic around their necks or a pulpit to stand in. John says, don't believe it, test it. Scrutinize, examine. This word test is a word derived from from tests on metal to see if the metal was was genuinely what it looked like or not. They don't want to be given a counterfeit coin in their change when they've done some sort of a trade. And in the same way, John doesn't want them to be given a counterfeit gospel. There are false prophets out there. I don't want you to believe me. I want you to test me. See whether I'm genuine. There are false prophets out there, verse 1 says, who deal falsely. And they are, verse 5, from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. Their directions, no matter how good or plausible or attractive they may seem, are not from the Holy Spirit. They are from the world. Now, there's great temptation in every single generation for pastors, I think, to collude with the culture. Uh, pastors get censured for orthodoxy. We get stick for standing up for Jesus. We get stick for directing people to the word. People don't like it when we challenge prejudice, when we expose worldly wisdom, they get unhappy. And of course, they let it be known that they're unhappy with us. And so if you have a pulpit, there's always this temptation to back off a bit, to dial it down a bit, to water it down a bit, to make it that bit more palatable to your culture and keep the world happy. In verse 6, John makes the key point. But we're not from the world. We are from God. Our job is to challenge the world, not to copy it. And so this means if every single thing you hear in here is identical to every single thing you hear out there, then something weird is happening, something is going very wrong. Either the whole of Fox Chapel is converted to Jesus and just not bothered to come to church, or in the alternative, we're making it up in the pulpit as we go along and leading everyone down a wrong turn. Ultimately, this is how you can tell. Go back to verse 2. By this you know, diagnostic test, By this you know the Spirit of God. This is how you prove if your pastor is of the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit or not. John says every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. It is all about Jesus. It will always be all about Jesus. Whatever direction you get from the pulpit, ask yourself some simple questions. Is it all about Jesus? Does it glorify Jesus? Does this direction that we're going down point to Jesus? Does this direction obey Jesus? And does this direction proclaim Jesus as Lord? Will the decision that you have in mind, no matter what it may be, big, marriage and ministry and jobs and homes, little That beer, that cake, that cigar, whatever. Smoke if you've got them. Listen to the sermon last week. Just one a year, please, church. Whatever your decision is that you're making, will it lead you closer to Jesus? That is the key question. This thing you're about to do, this direction, this road, will it lead you closer to him? And how will it use your resources? How will it deploy your resources, your time and your Uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, and your money? How will it use those? Will it use those things to the glorification of Jesus or not? And when you ask these questions, every single one of them, you start to build up a picture. You start to discern. You start to see if a way is the Lord's way. It's all about Jesus. Here's our problem. Isaiah 53 Says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Basically, Isaiah designed the magic roundabout in Swindon. Life is like this roundabout. We've got lost on the roundabout of life. We've got turned around. There's too many directions to take. We, we got confused. No human on their own is capable of intuiting the way through all of these decisions and nailing every single one and getting every decision right for the whole of their lives, past, present, and future. You cannot muddle your way around to God on your own. So God, prophetically answering this problem, promises a way. The way, Christ alone. Let's turn to our gospel reading from John and look at the way. John 14. Not the letter, but the gospel. It is at this point that we wished uh, on the vestry that we'd spent the extra $3 and bought the pew Bibles that came with ribbons in them. So I'm very sorry. Uh, but if you've got a bit of a bulletin or announcement sheet or something, rip it up, make some tabs. We're all over the Bible today. We're in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 4. Page numbers in the bulletin, as always, to give a bit of help. John 14, 4. Jesus speaking. You know the way to where I'm going. This really irritates Thomas. Thomas is on the roundabout. He's dizzy. He does not know the way. Thomas said to him, Lord, you know, really? What? are you talking about? We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Not a way, not one of many options, not one potential route and all you know, sides of the mountain lead to the peak, you know, all roads lead to Rome. No. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way, and it is me says jesus christ in our gospel reading test the spirits when someone speaks a brother or sister in christ especially a leader an elder on the vestry a minister of the gospel when they speak when they tell you a direction when they say that the spirit told them to tell you that the spirit says go and do this thing ask yourself is it all about jesus does it lead to jesus Does it lead to more Jesus? Does it glorify Jesus? Does it obey Jesus? Does it proclaim Jesus as the Lord and the way and the truth and the life? Because if it does not, it is a wrong direction. Well, that's the compelling spirit through leaders in the church, how we listen to other people who are listening to the spirit. But uh, we don't need leaders to tell us everything. A good church won't just Have a pastor spoon-feed the people for the rest of their walk with God. You do not need to call the pastor every single time you have a decision to make. Please don't call the pastor every time you have a decision to make. Yes. That was my wife speaking. Preach it, darling. You don't need a church leader. A minister or a priest to mediate your relationship with God. You don't need me in the way of your relationship with Jesus. And you can hear from the Spirit directly yourself. Is he making it up? Let's test him. Look at Psalm 139 in the bulletin, the one appointed for today. And it says this, where I can look at the pronouns? Where can I go from your Spirit? It's personal. Your hand will lead me It is personal. The psalmist is saying that the Spirit can intimately lead and speak to any single one of us. We can all be compelled by the Holy Spirit directly ourselves. So how can we be certain that we are hearing from Him? How do we know that it really is the Holy Spirit and not just something in our own minds? Would you please turn with me, using the luxury Bible ribbons that you don't have, to Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Acts 16, verse 6. It's a really great example of spiritual direction. And this uh, spiritual direction is not journey as a metaphor like our bulletin cover. This is an actual journey that they're actually on, going to actual places actually. And uh, these are therefore actual directions that they're receiving as well. Acts, chapter 16, verse 6. They went through the whole region of Phrygia, all of it, and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word. Is anyone's weird ometer kind of starting to go up around the sort of 9 or 10 at this moment? We, we talk about the Spirit calling a lot, don't we? The Spirit led me. The Spirit called me. I'm going to be in step with the Spirit. We're going to sing in in our song, Ocean, Spirit lead me. You know, we talk about the Spirit leading a lot. When was the last time you heard a sermon about the Spirit blocking you, about the Spirit preventing you from doing something? Well, it turns out that one of the ways that the Spirit says yes to the right direction is by saying no to all of the wrong ones. That's what's going on in Acts 16. Sherlock Holmes once said, well aware he's a made-up person, like St. Augustine. We just quoted him, but no, he's a real person. Last week, we did all the erudite church fathers. This week, we're doing Sherlock Holmes. He said this, you know the quote anyway. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. There's a, a sort of Holmesian process of deduction going on here in the book of Acts verse 7 says when they had come up to Mysia they attempted to go into Bithynia love the word attempted just i'm sure there's a whole comedy series that could be done on what the attempts looked like and how badly wrong they were like what happened how did they not get there camel got hoof rot someone got diarrhea you know what happened to make them not be there we don't know i can't wait to find out but there's all these attempts there's all of these questions, there's all of these sort of uh, eliminating these impossibilities, a process of deduction. It's it's almost like pushing on a series of doors and finding that every door is locked. Well push on this one, no it's locked, we'll push on this one, no, it's 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 locked. And they're just looking for the one avenue that opens up for them. Not that they're doing anything wrong. Because verse six tells us they're trying to speak the word. That's a good thing. And verse 10 says they're preaching the gospel. It's everything they should be doing. They're absolutely doing the right thing. It's not about them. It's all about Jesus. It's in the word. It glorifies Jesus and leads Jesus and leads other people to Jesus. It's definitely good. But for whatever reason, the Spirit does not want them there then. Maybe there's others to do it. Maybe they've got somewhere better to be. But not them there and then. And when this happens, when the Spirit blocks you, when the Spirit says no, and we are talking about this with a couple of people after the 8 a.m. service, you know, at the time that that happens, it can really, really hurt. Without understanding this principle of all of these no's leading you to the yes, it can really be discouraging when a door is closed in your face. It can feel bad, and especially if that thing that you're pushing on is, is something really significant like a marriage or maybe children or maybe A home or maybe a job or a ministry and no comes along, it can hurt. Shortly before coming here, I applied for a job. And on paper, it looked really great. It was exactly the kind of church where we would thrive. It's a large, charismatic, conservative, evangelical church in a good city, thriving ministries. It had been through trauma and difficulty. So the church was looking for healing, and it was exactly the kind of church that we, we were drawn to, one that was going to be in the word and had good training, but was hurt and needed good pastoring. It was the kind of thing that Kat and I just love as churches go. And they were looking for an associate, which is even better, we thought. No one in the right mind wants to be a rector. <laughs> All rectors do is spreadsheets and run a small business badly. I thought, great could be an associate, what a dream, I could do some ministry, awesome, uh, and uh, so I spent days applying, I put, I put everything in, I was just days and days and days applying for this job, didn't even get shortlisted, door in face, slam, nope, and uh, I thought, you know, what is going on, I went through my Christian checklist, word, yep, Jesus, yep, pastor is sound, yep, better be, it's me. i was i was convinced this was the job for me i was convinced this was the direction for our lives and it was just like walking slap into a locked door jiggle the handle a bit maybe it's stuck you know (laughs) maybe the key's stiff you know bit of wd-40 on the hinge put your shoulder into it no the door is locked was the message that i got firmly back from the holy spirit and I was feeling discouraged, and then Archbishop Duncan's assistant called me and said he was in London during the Six Nations Rugby Tournament. Would I like to go and have a pint of exquisite, warm, dark, weak British beer with a few things floating in it, and watch the rugby with the Archbishop of America, Canada, and quite a lot of Mexico? I got the fears, church. I thought, maybe there's something going on. The Holy Spirit is, is moving. What is the fizz? Well, uh, there's a Greek word behind it, so I'm claiming that this is a proper theological term. Uh, I'm talking talking about something, a sense beyond the cerebral, a sort of effervescent, uh, overflowing, bubbling nudge, a discernment, a warm glow, a a sense of joy, uh, um, enough of an encouragement to push a bit further. Courtney Myron was an agent of the Holy Spirit. She hired me. took a year. It was tough, but it was fun. There's, uh, I, I, you know, We were just hung up, I think. Some of us are hung up on looking for, for a yes. Sometimes I just want to say it can be easier to look for the no's instead of the one direction. See what the Lord is closing off door by door by door and seeing where he might be leading you to a yes through many no's. And uh, if the spirit is, is blocking you, it can feel discouraging. So you need to be aware of this principle of how God uses a no to get you to a yes sometimes. What they, Luke and Paul, don't do is just park up on the magic roundabout of Asia, press the clutch, slip it into neutral, pull up the handbrake and just sit down and have a cup of tea. They didn't have automatics in those days. It was all stick shift in those days. They don't just sit there after all of these closed doors in the face, and sigh and go, impossible. Let's give up on ministry. They keep pushing and pushing and pushing the doors. And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. They literally run out of country. It's just sea after Troas. And then verse 9 tells us, having run out of places to explore and having run out of doors, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Then the Spirit speaks. The Spirit speaks to him. Not through a leader. Not through a trusted believer. Not through an elder. Not through a friend this time. Not through a no. And not through the fizz. But through a very direct, very clear, very wild prophetic vision or dream. Directly from the Spirit himself. How do we know it's the Spirit? And not, you know, too much cheese late at night. Or the wrong kind of mushroom. How do we know it's the Holy Spirit? Well, in the vision, in the prophetic dream, verse 9 says, a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Let's apply our diagnostic tools to this. You're going to have to guess what the next three sermons are all about because they overlap a little bit, and this is the order we're doing it in. Um, These CSs are designed to be memorable, all of these different ideas. And this, right here in the book of Acts, is a clean sweep of the CS's. Come and help us. That is commanded in Scripture to advance the gospel. The man is urging them. There's a circumstantial sign. They've been looking and looking and looking for someone to open a door to them, and here he is opening it. Come over. It makes common sense that in Troas it's a seaport, Macedonia is just a short voyage the other side of the Aegean Sea, so it makes sense. And what does Paul do with this vision when he hears it? Verse 10, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, who's we, sought to go into Macedonia. We, he shares the vision with somebody else, in this case Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, He seeks the counsel of the saints, and that's all five CSs in two verses. The Spirit speaks through the Word. The Spirit speaks through leaders. The Spirit speaks through many, many no's leading to a yes. And the Spirit speaks through signs and through situations and senses, through the fizz. And through visions and dreams and pictures and words. And the spirit confirms his calling through each of these different ways that we'll be looking at in this series. And when he speaks, it always, always is about Jesus. It always points to Jesus, proclaims Jesus, obeys Jesus and leads other people to Jesus. He is the only way, this king of grace. Every other way is a dead end. One more thing. Maybe you're struck by the speed with which they go through this discernment process. You know, how quickly they figure out that it's not mushrooms, it's actually the Spirit. You see how quickly this is? Verse 10 says that the process was immediate. And this is where experience comes in. This is where growing in your abilities and maturity to hear and understand the Spirit will lead to you being able to hear and understand the Spirit more quickly. So just think about this for a moment. If a complete stranger were to call you up on the phone and just speak at you without any introduction at all, no, hello, this is me, this is who I am, uh, and they said, I would like, please, your bank details or your social security number or the PIN number to your debit card, would you just give it to them? Now, if you're thinking, yeah, we'll have a little chat later because we're thinking about doing a building development and maybe the spirit's leading you. No, <laughs> test them. <laughs> um, but but, but if, if you, of course you wouldn't. Like, no. But if someone very close to you called up like that, like a spouse or your, or your closest friend, maybe someone with whom you have a joint account, and they just were in a bit of a hurry, they were out of breath, they said, what's our PIN number again? You might well give it to them more readily, might you not? It is, of course, the same with the Holy Spirit. The more we go through this process of listening to the leaders and testing our leaders and listening to the no's and finding the yes and getting the fizz and getting the vision and testing it according to all of these principles, the more trained we become in recognizing the voice of the Holy Spirit, just like we recognize the person closest to us in our lives. When your wife calls up, you don't say, who are you? Call her ID. You recognize the voice. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. The more familiar he becomes the more immediate our discernment becomes as well. And the easier it gets to navigate life God's ways. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, uh, if we have experienced uh, the difficulty of a no or maybe something really traumatic in our life, like a relationship that didn't work out, and we've been hurt, we pray that as we mature in faith, we would see how perhaps you were leading us to a yes. And we ask God that we would be more in tune with your Holy Spirit, more capable of testing according to your word, uh, those senses and nudges that we have from him. As we approach to receive Holy Communion, would you soften our hearts, lead us to that rail with a, a new heart, a new openness to the call of your Spirit. In the majestic name of Jesus Christ alone, amen.